Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to this bonus episode of Freedom Books, Flowers in the Moon, in which the TLS's fiction editor, Toby Lishtig, meets the Australian novelist Tim Winton to discuss his new novel, The Shepherd's Hut, recently extracted in the TLS. Toby began by asking Tim about Jaxie, his teenage protagonist. Well, there are moments where I think he's a borderline sociopath. Um, he's a brutalised um, kid who's... Um, really is, is the fruit of misogyny. He's just been beaten and intimidated all his life and corralled into this very narrow form of, um, of masculinity, a very narrow form of existence, really, by, by his circumstances. But he's a... And so he's tough. He's a bully at, at school. He's, um, he has a bit of a taste for violence and a, and a fairly narrow lexicon, um, I think it's safe to say. But he's, he's curious even though he's been trained to, to close his fist and close his heart and close his mind, um, there's, a, there's a kind of a, an incipient curiosity there that's, um, that bubbles up and um, exposes him to, to things every now and again. I guess I've always been interested in people who, on the surface, seem to be, very, be emphatically one thing and it's almost always not what they are. What the, how they seem is not what they are. And, and, Jaxie's one of those people who's brimming, boiling with feeling, um, but um, doesn't always have the language with which to express those strong yearnings and feelings. But he's he's creative with that narrow lexicon as well. I mean, it's it's um, you know the vernacular in the book is 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 it sort of fizzes and is exciting and interesting. So there is a kind of there is scope for for playfulness with the language as well. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, he he, and I, I suppose, enjoy pushing that to the limit. He owns his own sound, if you know what I mean. He he he, he very definitely owns his own um, space and his tone. And sometimes he's completely unconscious of it, and other times he's he's reveling in it. Um, it's a little bit, you know, like when you travel in the south, um, in the states, and and you hear people. You know, self-consciously performing their southernness on you, um, and I'm sure Australians do it. They used to do it in Earl's Court. Um, um, I, I heard a few of them in the tube yesterday, and um, you can't tell if they're just shoring one another up um, in their Australianness. Um, so is he? Or they're just enjoying. Um, so I think now and again he's perform- he's performing because he's not sure. I mean, the, the conceit of the novel, you know, like all conceits is, is, is pretty fragile I mean he's 
he's a boy who almost never says anything in in, in in his normal life but because he's out in the middle of nowhere he's uttering this story to the emptiness um, with the assumption that no one's listening so he feels free to say everything and then every now and again as you say he sort of trowels it on pretty heavily in terms of the, the vernacular some of that's defiance and some of that is pleasure and fun for, for him but also I have to confess for me you know if uh, you know, if 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 you're like me and you've grown up um, having been told your, your whole life that you're from the wrong side of the wrong continent in the wrong hemisphere, um, speaking you know a wrong version of the right language. Um, yeah, I mean, it could have been worse. It could have been could have been francophone. <laughs> but um, uh, in the end, and 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 the kind of headwind that that creates for for a. a, a um, a writer who's essentially writing to, to the great world, um, regardless of its indifference, um, and you and you, you you write in your own sound in your own language, and, and you don't tug any forelock. Um, uh, uh, you know, when you, when you start from that position of you know, it's an enormous disadvantage. Um, and it, it do, you, do you think the world's perception or, or, or um, reaction to that kind of language has changed since you started writing in the early eighties? I mean, is there is there more receptiveness to it now? Well, there's more receptiveness to me. Um, so, so some of the you know, for having been stubborn and held my nerve and paid the price for that for for a long time. Um, you know, there have been times. You know, Cloud Street was 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 one of them back in '91, um, and the Shepherd's Hut is, a, is another moment where you, you get to use your own language um, and the language of, of you know the demotic that that you're most familiar with and, and in a sense most enjoy. You get to deploy it uh, shamelessly and defiantly um, to no great cost. I mean, there, some people will. In the states and in the UK, will you know will find uh, will, will be resistant because we have been trained into this kind of friction-free uh, reading experiences, and I think the internet um, and t- television um, have encouraged this sort of friction-free experience. You just want everything to be seamless, the language to be uh, in, instantly recognisable. There's no, there's no moment at which you have to stop and think, "Hang on, what's that?" Um, so, yeah, so the two things are going at the same time. You know, the strangeness of my sound is less strange than it was 30 years ago, and that's happy days for me. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I'm still riding into, a, into a, a global culture now that is resistant to any friction, uh, to any, to any, um, to any, any strangeness. You know, at the very top of, of literary art, there's an openness to that, but broadly, more broadly speaking, people are less tolerant of difference, um, unless it's suitably uh, exoticised and, and you, you trowel on the mangoes. Is, and is there, do you think there's a danger of, of that, your writing becoming exoticised in that way? I don't mean the mango so much, but, the, <laughs> but, but the, the, you know, the style, people thinking, oh, well, this is, a, this is, this is different and therefore um, sort of not treating you with, a, I don't know, with, not necessarily with the respect you deserve, but just treating you as a kind of an other rather than just mm. as an author? Yeah, look, I think if there was any danger in that, it would be the danger in me responding to that and pandering to that. Um, so, so, 
you don't want to just go out there every time giving them you know another serve of of that um I mean the places that I write about are strange and weird enough as it is without pandering um and and also without insisting on you know the most extreme forms of demotic language um but you know there are there are you know I suppose there are there are writers who you who you who I admire who some I've sometimes wondered whether they they haven't um actually recognized that there's a that they've got a bit of a thing and then they 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 follow up and and there's a there's an element of pandering and and hamming and mugging um as a part of that and I think that's kind of a shame you know they don't need to try that hard so Jaxie he leaves his hometown under a a potential cloud and he goes out into one of those strange places the 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 salt bush absolutely beautifully described and he comes across this well this figure I wonder if you could tell me about him he's called Finton because you know Jaxie just you know, he wants to escape people. He wants solitude, um, and, and also to find one person in yeah, particular. He wants to track yeah, down his his, his the, love. Yeah, he's searching for the only person who who gets him, I guess, and who 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 actually gives a damn about him. Um, but for for a while, he needs to he needs to lie low and, and let things cool off. And that's it, that's his that's just his, his back of the envelope plan that he's got about his entire future. But as happens, you know, you make plans and the world has other ideas and um, there's someone else out there in the in the salt country and he, he comes upon a, a, a stranger and it's somebody, you know, two generations older than him and um, who is a kind of an opposite in a way, um, somebody who has an education, who has cultural confidence. Um, this guy Finton McGillis is a, you know, um, he turns out to be a um, disgraced uh, Roman Catholic priest, an Irishman. And of course, you know, coming from his world, I mean, um, Finton's world is musical um, and, and 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 language heavy and wordy, talky. Um, so you've got this sullen teenager who who's suspicious of uttering because um, it's unsafe. He comes up against this bloke who's just incontinent when it comes to when it comes to talk, and it and it it, it bewitches and irritates the hell out of uh, Jaxie simultaneously. And Jaxie's own kind of reticence probably does the same to Finton, I would say. Yeah, you know how it is when you meet people who have a kind of a power silence, and you have to lean in, and you just keep you just start babbling because they don't say anything, and they're both frightened of each other. They both see the other as a threat. Initially, Finton's been out there, so he's been parked out in the salt for years for reasons that we never really get to um, know the details of. But um, initially, he thinks that you know um, this urchin, you know, who's bearing a high-powered rifle, has been essentially send out there to dispatch him, you know, to and, and bury him and no one will ever find him. So he thinks that, you know, this you know, this is a cold eyed child killer. Um, and Jaxie just makes the assumptions that any reasonable teenager these days seems to make about someone who outs themselves as a cleric, um, that he's a kitty fiddler, you know. So that it's a very uncomfortable uh, meeting and um, as soon as you say disgraced Roman Catholic priest, I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard not box. to... Yeah, yeah, we all know, we all seem to think we know what that's about. And so there, there's this sort of awkward dance between the two of them. Uh, and eventually, but eventually, they they form a kind of an alliance, um, which is 
logical and kind of necessary in that sort of environment. You, you can't live on your own um, in the interior of an island like Australia. It's not a place for solitaries. It never has been. People have only ever been able to live there. I mean, they've lived. People have lived there for as long as people have been people, sixty thousand years. But they've always done it in groups. They've always travelled in groups. Um, they've always hunted in groups. They've always sung and done ceremony in groups. There's no place for the individual in that. In that, uh, in in historic um, pre-settlement culture, um, and the the European idea of you know romantic notions of, of solitaries in in um, in landscape, it just doesn't apply. The, the, the world. Yes, it will reveal itself to you, and then it will kill you. <laughs> so, but, so the two of them sort of form a kind of a partnership. It's it's easier to survive with two people than it is physically, but it's also emotionally and spirit, spiritually as well. Yeah, I think so. They feed one another. I mean, sometimes they're feeding each other, you know, poisonous tidbits, but uh, they are, and they're goading one another and um, abusing one another. But there's there's food in it. There's nurture in it. There's um, and eventually, you know, to Jaxie's great horror and discomfort, there's affection in it as well. I mean, Jaxie's never never had a male figure in his life show him any regard or affection or respect. And um, Finton's always saying to uh, to Jaxie that he's a marvel, that he's that he, you know that he's a miracle, that he that he's full of you know full of admiration for him. And Jaxie just thinks he's being sarcastic all the time, you know. He's just used to being flogged by his father and, and you know, given detention and punishment by schoolmasters. Um, so it? it's an interesting little dance. And, it, and in terms of forms of, of, of manhood, um, I think both of them get something out of it, you know. So here's this guy, he's been a professional quote-unquote father all his life, but has never been a father. Um, and his relationships have always been procedural, and just by being in the middle of nowhere with a foul-mouthed fifteen-year-old with a with a with a rifle, um, he actually is in a relationship with someone who he cares about and wants to survive, and will do in, in the end will do anything to make this kid prosper and survive. Um, and there's nobody in Jaxie's life who's ever gone, you know, ever suggested or have ever actually would go to the wall for it and um, so in that sense it's 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 more than affection and become you know it's like this child becomes every child who's ever existed in, in the mind of this crazy old priest um, and in a way even though he doesn't quite have the language to say it Jaxie sees you know this old man as a as the you know the father he'd never had or as or as the a, a vision of the of the world of old people who were beneath contempt, you know, actually having something to offer, you know. So, um, and he becomes the biggest sort of figure in his life, ever so briefly. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And so these two figures are obviously right at the centre of what is in many ways a very pared-down novel, Landscape surrounds them. It's a huge part of it. And you've said, I think, elsewhere that you always start your writing with place. Mm. I just wondered if we could talk a little bit about that and your sort of relationship to the world as an environmentalist. And mm. There's a movement in literature which some people call the ecological turn, um, which I'm sure you're familiar with, which is you know, about decentering um, humanity from from writing both in fiction and non-fiction. I just mm. wondered if you could talk a little bit about your your views on that and the the, the importance of, of you know books not necessarily always being about people. Yeah, and if they're going to be about people, not necessarily always being about the dance of manners, you know, um, and kind of the neurotic brittle surfaces. Um, uh, yeah, look, I think we're at a point in history where it's not just logical but probably necessary to be thinking differently about you know what the real terms of trade are in terms of what it is to be a human on on this flying ball at this particular moment um, where um, our ancestors used to live uh, at the mercy of the natural world um, and then um, after the enlightenment and industrialization um, it's soon become evident um, that the world is now living at our mercy and we've had this brief blip in history where that's been the case where we're, the, we're to, been able to tell ourselves we're the masters of the universe not not realising that underneath all of that the terms of trade 
have changed so much that um, you know we we feel like masters of the universe, and yet we're we're going back to you know our ancestral origins where we're soon well, we're we're now becoming um, creatures at the mercy of the natural world in ways that that our ancestors never were, um, where it's not just where it's not just a dance and a relationship um, b between us and the natural world uh, and an intertwining of, of, of uh, dependencies, we're now, we're now looking at a future where we're essentially creatures fleeing the whirlwind. We're just running from, you know, from this big black storm and, um, and having to wake up to ourselves. Um, so yeah, in terms of landscape and the natural world, it's just about you know. Uh, it's interesting that in my lifetime, you know, we've we've there's this huge change in the way that we see ourselves. The way some of it's about returning to a notion of understanding that we're creatures. We've had we've had a few centuries where we've become addicted to the idea that we're angelic beings. You know, where there are, we live we live in a cosmos without consequence. So when it comes to um, when it comes to writing a, a, about the world, it's it, it's, a, it's just a change of of um, proportion, a change of emphasis, and the the natural world that so often in in modern literature at least has just been backdrop. It's it's been it's just been the stuff that you, you paint up behind the the real action. The real action is the foreground is the people on stage. I think we're you know we're now waking up to the fact that the backdrop is the foredrop, uh, and the people on the stage uh, are part of it, but they're not it. Do you think there's almost a kind of, as a writer, a kind of a moral imperative for you to to be painting it, you know, as more than just a backdrop for you to be foregrounding the natural world in that way, or is it? Well, yes, well, yes, no, yeah, well, yes, and I suppose. Um, I th you know, I think given the, the existential moment that we're moving into, yes, you feel a, a, a moral impulse there. But I also feel it emotionally, and always have that the that the, that the natural world um, was alive. That it wasn't just dead matter that was that was there to to uh, you know set off the colour of our eyes. You know, <laughs> just. Um, and that we were in a relationship with it, even if it was a dysfunctional relationship. I think that's, yeah, that, you know, the last century has taught us that we've been living in a dysfunctional relationship with the natural world. Um, we understand that when we talk about marriages or friendships, um, but, you know, the science has made it very clear that that's actually very much part of the terms of trade, the way that we've, we've lived in the, in the past century and a half. And, um, and there are consequences to that, and we have to we have to face them, but some of that, some of that change of, of mindset is an opportunity. It's, it's it, it, I think we you can too easily fall into a kind of an apocalyptic, um, chastening kind of uh, outlook. But I think it's an opportunity. We, we have we have a chance to live more richly. Uh, we have a chance to live better if we, uh, as Robinson Jeffers used to say, if we uncenter ourselves and. Um, and, and humanise ourselves um, and, and join up. I think Richard Powers has probably done, I was gonna done ask that you, better than anybody. Have you read The Overstory? Yeah, I was going to ask the most, the most impressive um, novel I've read for years. Um, 
So this was, yeah, Richard Powers' novel, which came out uh, maybe three or four months ago. Yeah. Um, there was a review in the TLS by Paul Quinn about it, but it's, it's sort of trees are at the centre of that with humans. Yeah, the, the, this, you know, the and it's essentially, you know, it's a... I mean, it's drawn from the science, and it's about relationships and interdependencies and, and the fact that, you know, all things are in families and all things are in tribes and all things are in villages. And, and trees are doing what we're doing, you know, and 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 you you can scoff at that, but it, but he uh, you know the science is there, and and he and he brings that um, alive in an emotional way, and it's about a, a, you know I guess, I guess the thing I take from from his book, apart from just how dizzyingly skillful he is. Um, and, and you know what an enormous brain he must have to carry around on his shoulders. <laughs> it must be tedious, but uh, um, you know, I finished that book in awe because essentially it's art delivering humility to humans in a way that we've got out of the habit of, of expecting or even understanding. You know, it's about perspective. And if you live, if you're an Australian and you live outside the, the, the cities and you and you just stop long enough to look you realize that you are just like a piece of dandruff on the back of an enormous ancient beast and it seems indifferent to you but you belong to it you know uh it's just that you're not it you're not everything you're not the you're not the pinnacle you're not you aren't the master of this universe you you're you're a fleck but you know to to realize that you're just um a bit of stardust i mean there's that's a kind of a it's a gift as well. Yes, it's it's very it's very beautiful, and it's, it's it has a sort of sacramental element to it. It's um, you know you don't have to be chuffing um, the wacky tobacco to be uh, to find that a slightly cosmic idea that you know particularly when you're out you know somewhere where there's bits of meteorite in a desert where you've got fossilized shells and and fish where you you, you can see the footprints of uh, ancient creatures. You just yeah this you it's dust to dust and stardust to stardust you know um, it's and you can lie on the on the ground and when you as Jaxie says you, know, you look on the you lie on the ground and at night and you look out to the stars and realize that it's not a backdrop that it's 3d that there's stuff behind stuff behind stuff and you get dizzy you know and you get almost panicky but then he's you know he as he says it's kind of cool you know now he gets why old Fenton keeps talking about heavenly bodies, you know, and it's not the heavenly bit that attracts him. It's the fact that there these are places. Um, because he's never really left his town before, has he? No, he's, and he's he's, in, he's stuck in the world he's from, the mental world, the geographical world. Yeah. But I think the way we we moderns and postmoderns live, we still treat the night sky. Those of us, those of us who can actually see it, um, like it's backdrop, like it's one dimensional. I mean, in a sense, we. We have the scientific advantage of knowing that, it, when, that the Earth's not flat and that the sky is not a canopy and a pane. Um, but we live like that and we think like that. And it's just every now and again, if you if you get sort of shunted out of your normal existence and your normal way of seeing the world, you have you have these gift moments where you think, far out. Yeah, it it is. These are all places, and these are and and the you know the light that's coming from them is ancient these are everything that you're seeing out there is is the the energy from an, an ancient event do, do you spend much time in the outback and then do you find well, time I live, to go yeah, I, live, I, mean, I know you I, live i live out in the i live out in the edge of the desert and um i'm sort of 
surrounded by that stuff all the time but I go out into it for you know from whenever I can because well there's no phone signal for one thing um, <laughs> to and, escape <laughs> yeah and, but also just just for the pleasure of it and and every now and again just to just to just to get sorted I suppose uh, and it's getting sorted you know by the natural world isn't a very romantic or and or gentle experience it's it's sometimes like getting beaten up but I, I, I think that the way that we the way that we live means that you know we we need a bit of a flogging now and again just 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 to wake up and and have some things returned to us um, you know we've 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 come into a time in history where we forget how to be humans and some of us aren't even interested in being humans we, we want we want we want to modify ourselves to the point where we we leave the creaturely part of us behind but um I don't know. I always find it's a bit of a gift to be a creature. <laughs> that was Tim Winton talking to Toby Lishtig. If you missed last week's paper and want to read our exclusive extract from the novel, go to the-tls.co.uk. You'll find it and a great deal more there. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 